Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined, as always, by the one and only Hall of Famer, Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for Inside ND Sports on the Rivals Network. Notre Dame has officially hired three of its new coaches, offensive line coach Harry Heastan, wide receivers coach Chancey Stuckey, and special teams coordinator Brian Mason, and is in the same slow HR process with defensive line coach Al Washington. As of today, Tuesday, the Irish are still in need of a defensive coordinator and a running backs coach. Um, but as the wait continues on that front, we wanted to spend some time talking about recruiting today um, because earlier today, the rival, the final Rivals 250 for the 2022 class was released. And this weekend, the Irish will host their first big junior day of the year. So that's why we wanted to spend some time talking to Adam Friedman, Rivals Rankings Director and a National Recruiting Analyst. Adam, thanks for joining us. Absolutely, guys. It's great to see you. Great to be here with you guys, for sure. Uh, first, congratulations on making it to the end of another ranking cycle. I imagine that's a little bit of a relief. Uh, it is, yeah, for sure. Lots of lots of work went into this class. It's been fun. You know, the pandemic is, you know, through obviously through everybody a curveball, but uh, it's been tough with rankings. Um, you know, last class was even harder, but this one still coming out of that. Uh, still a lot of a lot of work that has been done on this group. Really proud of the, the effort from the national analyst team. How long have you been involved with the rankings process with rivals? And on a day like today, what's the percentage of compliments versus complaints that you get from fans? <laughs> I've been involved with the rankings process ever since I started with rivals as a national analyst, as a regional analyst uh, back in the day. So it's a uh, 10 years, I guess, is what it was. Um, yeah. 2000. Uh, well, Nine, nine years, I guess it was, was it is what it is now. But um, yeah, the, as far as the compliments versus complaints, uh, nobody ever compliments us. It's always complaints. You know, you screwed over our team. Uh, you dropped all of our commits. Um, you, you raised the, the rankings for all of our rival teams. You know, Notre Dame fans talking about how USC commits are always higher and, and their, their commits always dropped. Uh, you know, it's, that's how it goes. But, um, you know, those from, from, from uh, you know, guys in the, in the network and in the industry, you know, there's, a, there's a lot of um, you know, respect and um, there's a lot of, I guess it's a mutual admiration society there where everybody understands how much effort goes into this uh, process. And nobody's ever 100% right. Nobody's ever 100% wrong. Uh, it's always somewhere there in the middle. Um, so a lot, of, uh, a lot of respect all, all across the board. Uh, from inside the industry. However, uh, from the outside looking in, it's, you know, this is a dramatic time of year for sure. I'm going to bury the lead a little bit here and uh, get into the methodology first. In terms of this last rankings update, what goes into it? I would imagine the all-star games and the all-star practices, but are there other factors especially for people that aren't in those all-star games that aren't able to do them or whatever, for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, we, we updated the rankings last in December that was considered the postseason uh, rankings update. Um, and then we update one final time, taking into account all of the all-star games and players that either hadn't finished their seasons by the time the, the previous rankings update had, had occurred um, or other players who just hadn't had time to put together their film and get it out there. Uh, we also use this time to gather the last bits of information that we need on players that are going to be emerging during this last uh, month and a half or so of the recruiting process and players who, 
you know, we just hadn't had all of the pieces of information just yet, even though they may have already had some stars or, or ranked somewhere in the position rankings or rivals 250. Um, that's largely what this last rankings update, though, uh, uh, took into consideration. Um, those all-star practices are almost even more valuable than the games themselves because we get a really up-close look at how players really um, really conduct themselves, not just in drills and all that. This isn't, uh, you know, good good player, better person type of evaluation, but it's really about uh, uh, how competitive they are, how, how, you know, this is where you try to take into account some of those intangibles that people always try to get an edge on uh, when they're evaluating players. That's, that's always the great unknown uh, during the process. And you, know, you can take all the measurables, you can take all of the film and in-person evaluations during camps and games and things like that. But getting to really spend some time watching these players uh, interact, uh, who's the alpha, um, you know, who really is all about business, who's more about flash, you know, all of that, um, that, that, that has a lot to do with how these some of these final rankings have played out. Just following up with that, and, and it's fascinating to me, I'm guessing that when you start the process and maybe even in the intermediate steps, you rank them by position first before you try to put them in a 250. Yeah, that right? that's exactly right. Okay. Yeah, we we go position by position, five-star, four-star, three-star. Okay. Slot, you know, every analyst does – their quote unquote region, you know, we were based all over the country and, um, yeah. you know, we, we submit our rankings and we have a, a big spreadsheet that I run and, uh, we, we, then we get on a, you know, two, three day conference call for hours and hours and hours and, uh, <laughs> have, uh, have some, some fun and, and sometimes heated discussions about where players should be slotted at the positions first. And then we move over to the rivals 250 uh, after we finish the positions and, uh, go from there. Well, I assume maybe there's some beer involved, but uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I guess what would be, I think the biggest challenge is not being biased to a certain position group, like overdoing quarterbacks, for example. Um, but I mean, okay, the offensive tackle in Seattle 66, but the defensive tackle in Maryland is 60. That seems like that's where it really gets difficult. Yeah, that's where it can get really, really tricky. And that's why the offseason and camps are so valuable to us. Not necessarily the individual performances by the players themselves, but for analysts from every corner of the country to go and see players from other areas to make sure that, you know, you're, you know, that's how you figure out how your best player in your region compares to guys. Um, you know, in other regions for just for an example here, you know, I'm based on the East Coast. Um, I live in Maryland, but um, for the last couple of years, I've made it a point to get out to Los Angeles for the rivals camps out there just to see how some of those guys look, how I and, and take that back to to the guys who I've seen a lot in person and compare them. Uh, that cross region scouting is absolutely key when we uh, talk about the rankings process and how we compare guys from from every corner of the country. Adam, shifting to Notre Dame's class, this is the highest ranked Notre Dame class since 2013. What what stood out to you about the quality of talent that the Irish put together in this class? 
Yeah, um, you know, despite all of the uh, changes that may or may not have occurred throughout the rankings process and all of the uh, drama that that uh, ensued here with uh, mm-hmm. the coaching change and, and, well, I guess not too many coaching changes, but with, with Coach Kelly uh, heading out, uh, this class largely stuck together. And I'm really impressed with how, first off, how the group itself held itself together. Um, credit to the coaching staff, but also these players have, have really uh, created a, a strong bond throughout the process. A lot of them recruited each other and, um, you know, credit to those guys for making sure that they had a strong group of players that they were going to college with and making sure that uh, these guys all signed. Um, but it is a very good class, uh, as you mentioned. Um, uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, what they're getting and the, their top ranked guy, Jalen Sneed. Um, you know, just uh, an awesome, awesome linebacker. Um, this is the type of linebacker that college and NFL teams are looking for. It's like super, super athlete. Um, he's bouncy. He's quick twitch. He can cover like a defensive back, but he hits like a linebacker. He can blitz like a defensive end. Uh, the guy's all over the field um, and he's got a great frame, six foot one plus uh, almost 210. Um, still a lot of room to fill out his frame. He's going to be a lot like a Jeremiah Wusu, who I I'll take credit for missing on him in uh, <laughs> coming out of high school. Yes, I'll take I'll take that credit. Um, but uh, you know he he's a guy who's just an incredible athlete, and um, you really want to see how the defensive staff is going to be able to use him uh, at the next level there. Um, but he's not alone on that at that linebacker core. We really like Joshua Burnham, uh, Noah Ziegler. Uh, those guys uh, and uh, Junior Tuihalamaka, um, you know, those guys are. It's a really good group there on the, at the linebacker core. Um, I, I like what they've got coming in there. Um, on the defensive line, um, just three guys. Um, you know, pretty familiar with Heinish. Um, you know, he's a guy who uh, you know remained a three-star prospect for us, but um, you know, high ceiling there. A big riser. Um, Tyson Ford rose in the rankings, but Aiden Gobara. Uh, a guy who really rose up the rankings as a new addition, um, or excuse me, not a new addition, but a big riser in the Rivals 250. Um, you know, really explosive, had a great performance there in San Antonio. Um, the analysts that were down there, I didn't get a chance to make it down there for uh, for the All-American Bowl, but the analysts that were there were, were going on and on about how, how much energy he plays with, how explosive he is and uh, just really gets after it. And, um, you know, he's somebody I've, I've become very familiar with because he's from Virginia. Uh, I think he's a lacrosse, has a lacrosse background. So he's a really good athlete there. And, um, you know, he's filled out well, his hands are very active and um, you're looking forward to seeing how he's able to develop once he gets to uh, South Bend. There's a lot of room in that frame to fill out and uh, we'll see where he fits in on that defensive line there. But you know, when you talk about Notre Dame, the uh, position group that everybody always likes to talk about there is uh, offensive line. And this is a really, really good class on the offensive line. Um, probably my favorite one of the group is Emil Wagner. Um, I might be a little higher on him than some others in the company here, but uh, 6'6", 265, awesome athlete. I know your, your listeners and readers and subscribers are huge fans of him as well. They've been talking about him for a long time. Um, awesome athlete plays much stronger than he looks. And that's really important right now because he is going to get a whole lot stronger uh, when he does get to South Bend. Um, There's a lot of room to fill out there, but he plays with great technique. Um, And with uh, the offensive line coach coming back, uh, Coach Heaston, I I believe is how you pronounce his name. I've never been good at that one, but uh, I think um, he's he's got a really bright future there. Um, Billy Schroth and um, Ty Chan. 
uh, Joey Tanoa, uh, Ashton Craig, all of these guys, really good players. Um, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing how this group kind of comes together at the next level. Emil Wagner pulled off something I didn't think was possible. And that's surprising everybody in the business where he was going. Uh, he didn't have a graphic ready. Um, people were, you know, nobody had the right future cast or crystal ball or Ouija board or whatever. Um, so I give him a lot of credit for surprising everybody. So he gets points for me for that. Uh, the theatrics of it. Yeah, yeah the theatrics <laughs> of it. Um, with Aiden, I mean, you knowing him, were you surprised by, by what he did in San Antonio? Or did you say, guys, I've been trying to tell you. And I understand it's hard. You know, I think Virginia had spring football, and he was pretty thin for, for a while. I mean, he was undersized. I mean, he was lengthy, but but he, he filled out later. So I, I'm wondering if it was just a matter of just natural development evolution with him or were people missing on him? Well, it's a, I don't think people were totally missing on him, but when you talk about Virginia public school football, especially from where he's from in Virginia, not a ton of really high level players come out of that area. And he's at a school that in the past really hasn't produced much talent, even, even in that area we're talking about. So, yeah. um, number that that's the first thing where you could be quote unquote overlooked. Uh, the second is, you know, with the pandemic and the way that it made the state of Virginia play that spring season, uh, a lot of those guys were kind of behind the eight ball when it came to getting exposure. Um, now, Aiden obviously didn't have a problem getting exposure, but making sure that people were able to actually get a really good look at him, um, that's where uh, that's where it, it was. That caused a problem there. Um, you weren't able to really see his development because. There's a lot of other stuff going on during that springtime, uh, all the camps and everybody's traveling around. And, um, you know, the film didn't come out um, until a little bit later. And um, really just the overall level of play during that spring season in Virginia wasn't wasn't great. Um, a lot of players were sitting out. Uh, it was a lot of inconsistencies there. Sure. Um, and so, you know, that's the second factor. The third one is, you know, with that delayed season, you could really tell once you actually turned on the film who was you know, kind of sitting on their butt during the fall when they would have actually been playing as opposed to the ones who use that time to get better, get in the gym, all of that. Um, and we saw that uh, Aiden definitely did use that time to his advantage. He got stronger. He put on some mass. He looked very good. But the the quality of that spring season still held him back a little bit in the rankings because we weren't quite sure, you know, how good, it, how good a competition he was playing. Um, and that's when you know, we, we made sure he got into the rivals 250 because he is a very talented player. That was, that was very easy to see, but how good he actually was is very difficult to tell until he goes up against players who are going to be playing at the college level. Um, you know, I don't care if they're going to Alabama or New Hampshire. Um, you know, you, you want to see guys who are going to be playing after high school so that you can gauge, you know, at least somewhat how good their or how high their ceiling could really be. And that's what we saw in San Antonio. This kid, um, you know, he's got enough strength. He's got the technique. He's got the quickness and energy to play with. Um, and now we know the areas that he needs to develop in, and that helped us slot him in the rankings. Adam, I, I don't know if your answer will match the rankings here, and it doesn't have to, but 
Is there one Notre Dame commit that you're the most confident in his ability to sort of match the recruiting ranking that you gave him? Um, that's a good question. Um, you know, there's a couple of guys that um, could fit that description. I would say probably barring injury, uh, Jalen Sneed, I just have a lot of confidence in him. Mm -hmm. He's a lot of consistency throughout his career and, and has continued to improve on, uh, on a consistent basis. Every time we've seen him, he's better and better. Um, and he just doesn't disappoint. He rises to the challenge each time. And, um, you know, I'm just excited to see what, uh, what he's able to do when he gets on the field there. Um, yeah, he would be my guy. Uh, but a couple that we've already mentioned Wagner, um, is, is a guy who's right. almost, almost a no brainer for me. Um, I really like, um, yeah, those are some of the guys there. I like price as well. Uh, the running back, um, you know, the running back room at Notre Dame has, has, has continued to get better and better um, in the right. performances there. So, um, you know, that, that offensive line that he's going to be running behind is, is going to be awesome. Um, and so why not say a, a running back there as well? One more methodology question, because I'm trying to, I know what our readers, listeners, subscribers will insinuate. Um, <laughs> and that's, when, when a player, let's say, either commits to Alabama or gets a offer from Alabama, does that influence in your mind where they should be ranked? No, not really. Um, in my mind um, and uh, the way that we try to think of it here at Rivals is offers are an indicator of players that need to be evaluated. Um, and the level of, you know, I'm doing air quotes there, the level of offer um, does not correlate necessarily to their ranking. Um, it is not a direct uh, correlation there. One does not cause the other. Um, you know, you can go back and look over the uh, over the history, and yeah, sure, guys who have some of those higher level offers are rated higher, but the two are not related. Uh, one does not cause the other. Adam, we've talked a bit about the guys that have risen here late in the rankings for you. Uh, the Notre Dame uh, signee that took the biggest drop was Ty Chan, the offensive lineman out of Massachusetts. What questions came up about Ty uh, late in the recruiting cycle? Yeah, Ty is somebody who um, I really liked as uh, as we went through the recruiting process. Um, you know, big guy coming out of New England, a very strong program there in Lawrence Academy, great coaching, um, and uh, had some really good offseason performances too. Um, you know, really, really high on him coming out of, I think it was a future 50 uh, during the summer, um, had some really excellent performances down there. And, um, you know, here at the uh, All-American Bowl, or excuse me, the uh, Under Armour All-America game, um, you know, he was going up against some of the very, very best defensive tackles in the country. He's playing mostly guard. Um, and uh, just, you know, wasn't tech as technically sound as we expected and didn't play with the, with the strength that we had expected uh, coming into the game. Um, you know, all the, both of those things are fixable. He certainly, you know, he's one of the, he's in the rivals 250. He's right. um, I, I can't remember off the top of my head where he ended up in the rankings, but I believe it's somewhere around 200. And, um, you know, he's somebody that uh, has all of the measurables, all of the 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 um, 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 intangibles that, uh, you know, we try to evaluate. He has all of that stuff. That's why he's still very highly rated. But um, there is still some work to be done before he's field ready. 
Um, and that's uh, that's going to come from all the work he's going to do in San Antonio off the field, uh, or excuse me, in South Bend, rather, <laughs> uh, in the weight room with the coaching staff during practices and getting in that work against those great defensive linemen that Notre Dame is bringing in. Adam, I wanted to move to the 2023s. Um, first, when is your next ranking update for that class? Secondly, Notre Dame is the field's kind of narrowing on the good quarterbacks they have a shot at. What's your thought in the differences between Dante Moore, Christopher Vizina, and Avery Johnson versus ending up with one or the other of those? Yeah, well, um, in terms of when the next rankings update will be for the 23 class, you can you can find that next month here on Rivals. Um, it'll be, I want to say, the third week of February is when those rankings will come out. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Um, we will be expanding the rankings more and uh, more players will get their stars and Rivals ratings. And uh, you'll see a brand new Rivals 250 and all the position rankings as well. Um, in terms of Notre Dame's class right now, it's a fan, obviously it's a fantastic class. Number one recruiting class in the 23 class right now. Um, you've got guys from all over uh, committed to the team. Um, you know, Keon Keeley is a guy who I've talked a lot about. I'm a big fan of his and his stock is rising a lot uh, coming off of his junior season. Uh, Peyton Bowen is somebody we're very high on. Drake Bowen. Uh, uh, Brennan Vernon. Uh, these guys are excellent, excellent players that uh, Notre Dame fans should be excited about and um, hope that these uh, coaches can hold on to these commitments because if these guys make it to South Bend, um, this is going to, they could help take this program to the next level for sure. Um, in terms of the uh, quarterbacks for Notre Dame, you mentioned Dante Moore, Vizina, and a couple other guys. Um, Avery, Johnson. Avery Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. So with, um, with Jackson Arnold now committing to Oklahoma. Right, right, right. So, um, you know, this, it's moving fast, the quarterback position. Um, so when we're talking about these guys, you know, Dante Moore is a, somewhat of a natural, um, you know, it's, it's just kind of comes easy to him out there and, and you know, raises his game, you know, depending on the spotlight. Um, you know, it just seems like it's, it's almost effortless for him. Um, I'm excited to see more of him come this off season um, rivals camp again. And, um, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully we're able to see some more of him. You know, there isn't a whole lot of areas that he necessarily needs to improve on. It's just becoming more and more confident with his game overall. Um, and then in terms of, um, what did you say, Vizina? Yeah, Vizina is another one where another one we're trying to learn more about. You know, down there in in Birmingham. Um, you know, he really um, blew up with offers and uh, we're, we're going over that film and, and learning more and more about him and his game. Um, and uh, this rankings update, I think you could see some some changes in his ranking as well. Um, just somebody, you know, we know less about him than we do Dante Moore. He didn't come on the scene as early as Moore. So um, just something we're, we're trying to put the pieces together there. Um, and sim similar situation with Avery Johnson. Um, you know, just um, kind of middle of the, middle of the country guy, not a hundred percent sure about the competition level and how high his uh, you know his skill level is at this point. Um, you know, we'll see him during the off season at Rivals Camp and Seven on Sevens um, and and other camps as well. Um, somebody that um, has certainly been mentioned to us uh, many times. So um, don't uh, don't think that these rankings are anywhere close to final right now. Speaking of quarterbacks, I wanted to follow up with this. 
Tyler Buckner must have been a really difficult evaluation from the standpoint, hurt sophomore year, no senior year, had a zillion touchdowns as a junior against really questionable competition. And uh, I, I'm just wondering, as you kind of look back at that evaluation and look at him now, do you feel like you got it right? Do you feel like he's a quarterback that could get Notre Dame into the playoff and win a playoff game maybe? Um, I was not as big a fan of Tyler Buckner as our guy, Adam Gorney on the West Coast. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think, uh, you know, Tyler, you can't argue with the production, obviously. Um, you know, he, his throwing mechanics, if I remember right, changed drastically th during his high school career. And, um, you know, trying to get him, getting get that under control once he got to South Bend and seeing how he's able to mesh with the system and, um, you know, deliver the ball on time with power, uh, with accuracy, um, and play within the system. Um, I think it's uh, it's an interesting situation that uh, Notre Dame is in with Buckner there. Um, you know, I don't want to get into a situation where I'm calling him some sort of game manager or, or anything like that. But, mm -hmm. you know, I want to see that progression um, from this year to next year uh, and, and beyond because, you um, you know, if you're, if you're not improving, you're going backwards. Um, and uh, Notre Dame's got some quarterbacks that are going to be coming in that are super talented um, and may or may not fit the uh, scheme a little bit better. So um, we'll see how things turn out there. Um, but yeah, there were some bigger fans of Tyler Buckner than I was for sure as a recruit. Adam, as I mentioned earlier, Notre Dame's bringing in a number of talented visitors this weekend for its first junior day of the year. Um, a number of those guys I know you're familiar with, whether it's Tamir Robinson or Preston Zinter, um, Ronan Hannafin, Sullivan Absher, are, are any of those guys that you are particularly high on and, and intriguing about their possibility with Notre Dame? Yes, um, definitely <laughs> Preston Zinter. Um, you know, like like what I see out of him, uh, Notre Dame has been on him for a long time. Um, a lot of smoke there. Um, certainly a, bit, a little bit of an uphill battle with uh, his ties to Michigan, his brother being there. Uh, Ronan Hannafin um, also I would uh, keep a close eye on him as well uh, maybe not this weekend necessarily but um, you know over the next few months I, I would say um, interesting recruit Ronan is and uh, you know receivers out of the northeast way up there you know it's a, a little bit of a tough eval so we're, we're excited to see more of him um, and then Sullivan Absher um, you know, out of North Carolina somebody that I would uh it would, I think it'll be kind of difficult to get him out of the Southeast, um, especially as his stock continues to rise in college coaches' eyes. Um, I think he's, he's got a pretty high ceiling, and um, it'll be interesting to see what twists and turns his recruitment takes over the next uh, maybe three months or so. Well, all right, Adam, that's all we have for you today. We really appreciate you taking some time today to talk to us about the rankings and all the uh, other things with Notre Dame recruits. And uh, – have a good rest of the weekend and enjoy the rest of the, uh, the rankings unveilings. <laughs> Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, Eric. I really appreciate you guys. All right. Now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or on the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First one we have from the Insider Lounge is Rhino1134. At, one, at what point does the defensive coordinator search go from being thorough to being drawn out? If it is Al Golden in the end, how loud will the collective groan be from the ND fan base? Um, 
I, I think it's not just, I, I think it's the answer is C with this in that um, I think they're being thorough. I don't think it's being drawn out, uh, but you have a complication in that one of your candidates has a team that's still playing in the NFL playoffs, and that's Al Golden, who's a linebacker's coach with Cincinnati. And I think that if Cincinnati wins the AFC championship game, then you've got a dilemma in terms of whether you're willing to wait until the middle of February to interview him. And, and I think, uh, I think that's maybe, maybe would eliminate him. You know, each of these four candidates have such different backgrounds and, and are really different paths. The, the commonality, I guess, between three of them are they are coaches that have coached linebackers before are coaching linebackers currently. Um, Doug Belk is the one that's got the secondary, you know, cornerbacks and safeties background. And so you're really looking at four different, four different flavors. I, th I think they've vetted them, but I think the interview process is really important. That's where the um, John Haycock situation kind of fell apart in that there wasn't a commonality in terms of how Marcus wanted John to coach a position and John wanted to be the roamer that he's always been. Um, so again, if you're, if you're wanting Al Golden, if you want to consider that, I think you have to root for the Bengals to lose on, on this weekend. Um, as far as the collective grown or whatever it is with the, um, from the fan base, I don't think it would be collective. I think that everybody's kind of got their own favorites. Um, the one thing that you would like a lot about Al Golden is that he's been a head coach. He's got more experience than the others. Um, and he's pretty flexible as far as scheme. You know, he was a 34 guy when he was a defensive coordinator at Virginia. He's coached 43 before he's been a 43 guy as a head coach. He's been a 34 guy as a head coach. So, so he's coached both. So I think that's, that's a good thing. Um, he was a really good recruiter in college. Again, he hasn't coordinated defense in college and since, in, you know, 2005, 2006. So um, I think that's where maybe some people are groaning, but I, I don't know that there's a, uh, a consensus favorite among the fan base or a consensus, please, no, 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 no. As long as it's not Tyler or me, I think you should be pretty happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, it, it would it would transition from thorough to drawn out if a third person or if the next person that's offered the job doesn't doesn't take it. Then 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 I think you're like, okay, what in the world is going on? Um, I think, but I, I think right now, I mean, it's understanding sort of what you're you're talking about with with Al Golden. Um, it seems like obviously they were. Um, some preferences before the the current crop uh, was uh, has been narrowed down to with with, with J John Haycock, and then um, we've heard um, some rumblings that Jim Leonard was someone that, that at Marcus Freeman was interested um, from the outset, but that that didn't necessarily seem very realistic. I would sort of compare that to uh, um, the wide receivers coach from Ohio State, Brian Hartline, um, is, is not necessarily a realistic option but it's worth shooting high for 
Um, so, I mean, I think they're, they're being thorough in evaluating this group. Um, and uh, there needs to be some movement here soon. I, I don't know that I agree, and I, neither of us can know for sure. I would imagine Al Golden can find time to get on Notre Dame's campus with if they make the Super Bowl with two weeks between the, the – the, the, I'm not sure how the whole permission thing goes. I, I would think – Well, I mean, I mean, I, I, mean as, I know as an NFL fan, like, the, the, one of the, the, the Bills' offensive coordinator was interviewing with the Chicago Bears. Right. Right. The playoffs. Um, so I don't know why Al Golden would be prevented from doing that. Now, maybe there are more logistics to that that I'm, I'm not aware of. But um, so I, I think you could have that maybe if if the Bengals won, you could have that wrapped up before the the, the Super Bowl. I, mean, I, I, right. I, mean, I don't know. The, the urgency that's, is getting a playbook in place. Right. Yeah. And that's something that Bill Bauer <laughs> said when I asked him uh, the other day, uh, last Friday. Um of what it's like waiting to find out who the defensive coordinator is. He's like, I'm, I'm willing to be patient, but I'm ready to get to work too. I want to know what playbook we're running and how things are, how, what, what I can be studying. So um, that uh, is, is the downside of waiting on this. Um, if will Al Golden be good? I, 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 I know it's not a, a radio clip worthy, but I, I, I don't know who knows. Um, I think the the coaching search stuff is so hard to 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 parse whether or not someone would be good. And I know certainly people might be questioning because he hasn't been a defensive coordinator in so long, um, and he sort of failed as a head coach at Miami um, and has been in the NFL since. It seems like a, a bit of a um, a, a strange fit, um, but I, I would think that Marcus Freeman would feel differently if he's gone through this process with him and ends up choosing him. Um, that he would feel comfortable with that. I think, uh, um, I don't, I don't think, I think that the experience that he's had as a head coach is probably, probably valuable. Um, I just don't know that I can necessarily tell you what he's going to be like as a defensive play caller. And that's something that Marcus Freeman has to sort of sort, sort through through this process. Well, I think there's probably some PTSD from Brian Van Gorder in that Brian Van Gorder was a Broyles Award winner at some point, but had never really had to adjust to defending spread offenses. And once teams kind of figured that out and knew that he couldn't defend against tempo, Notre Dame started seeing teams play tempo that didn't normally do that at the end of that 2014 season. So I think that's where you really got to get down into where is Al philosophically? Has he evolved as the college games evolved while he's been in the NFL? Yeah, and I think the NFL has evolved. I mean, if anyone wants to watch this Chiefs play, they'll see that that's, that's, yeah. that's a pretty college offense. He's play, going against that. Well, we'll see how well he def- <laughs> he and his defensive corner defend against <laughs> Right, yeah. Well, yeah, I wouldn't blame Al Golden for the outcome of the, of the, of the Chiefs-Bengals game this weekend. But uh, his linebackers, I thought, played pretty well against uh, – against the Titans, Logan Wilson especially had a really good game, um, even though he's not necessarily considered one of the top linebackers in, in the NFL. Next question from the Insider Lounge is from SJB75. One question, what's your predictions on the defensive coordinator search? Huh. <laughs> well, I know, I think even where where I would pick has, I've kind of maybe changed my mind a couple times on who my favorite would be. And I can see advantages to all 
of those guys. You know, uh, Tem Lukabu at Boston College has coached defensive linemen and linebackers. He's got a blend of college and pro experience. Um, what I haven't seen from him as a defensive coordinator is an elite defense. Um, Joe Rossi at Minnesota has the resume that most resembles a defensive coordinator that's on the verge of being really, really good, where he's had to learn the game and be very innovative at lower levels, then gets to a place like Minnesota and, and turns them into a really good defense. It's very similar to Mike Elko's uh, resume when he came to Notre Dame. Um, Doug Belk, Houston has come light years in the last two years with him as the defensive coordinator. Um, he was a co-defensive coordinator and they were really awful. They got rid of the other co-part and he <laughs> became the defensive coordinator, but he's pretty young. Does Marcus want somebody that's that young? The other thing is you would have to move Chris O'Leary to linebackers coach. And I think ultimately for continuity sake and what I, Chris can coach linebackers, but is that the best thing? Um, and then Al Golden coaches linebackers. He's the probably the good sounding board for Marcus. Um, I, I think if I were picking, I would pick Rossi right now. Um, if I were predicting, <laughs> I don't think it would be Lukabu. Um, I mean, if they're waiting this long for Al Golden, I think Al Golden is the favorite. So. Right. That would be my prediction. Yeah, I mean, it, it could be coincidence that Marcus Freeman isn't pushing forward on this decision while he's while Al Golden is still coaching in the NFL. Um, and, and Marcus is running around the country talking to recruits. Right, but I, I don't think that was going to change regardless, and I don't yeah. think preventing him from hiring a, a defensive coordinator. He can get back on Notre Dame's campus in the evening. Um, and uh, make and have a meeting with the, with the guy and and, and uh, decide who he wants to 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 have. So I I think I, I do think Al, Al Golden would probably be the guy that I would see say is the most likely at this point. I, 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 if I were handicapping it, I would Al Golden first, and then Rossi second, Doug Belk third, and Tim Luca. I don't know if it's Lukabu or Lukabu. I haven't looked into the pronunciation. It's Lukabu. I, I heard um, him say his name. And uh, so that would be how I look at it. But, I mean, I don't know that I feel hugely confident in that. Um, and we'll hopefully find out sooner rather than later. Next question from the Insider Lounge. 42 Stocks asks, what happens first? Notre Dame hires a defensive coordinator. You guys hire a recruiting reporter. Well, we could have gone the Amazon route and had somebody in a couple days show up <laughs> at our doorstep. I'm going to say – Notre Dame probably will um, have their defensive coordinator in place. I don't want to give away too much of our process because I don't think it's fair to the people that maybe have been eliminated. So I just, I'll say that we're making good progress. We're really excited about our candidates. None of them are held up by the Super Bowl. Uh, <laughs> so, so we've had Tyler Sloan. What do you mean? Bit. Eric, I thought Al Golden was our favorite to be our recruiter. What are you talking about? And I don't think Tyler will mind me sharing that he's been battling the C word. Um, and so we're. <laughs> that being COVID. <laughs> yeah, that being COVID. So we're, uh, we're 
trying to be a little bit more deliberate so that we can give everybody the individual attention. And um, again, we had a lot of a lot of candidates to wade through. So uh, we were happy that there was that kind of response. And we're happy. I'm going to take take it as that you're eager and not impatient. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll hope, we hope to get someone in place as soon as we can, but we're not, we want to make the right decision. Um, and uh, we want to make sure that person is set up to be successful. Um, and uh, I'm uh, sort of handling as much of the recruiting stuff as I can right now. Um, so we'll get through it. Um, I know it's a big recruiting weekend coming up and we'll have, we'll have plenty of coverage from that. And uh, hopefully give our readers and subscribers uh, the information they're looking for. Next question from the Insider Lounge, JCAPS5050, can you give us a preview of the upcoming junior day? Speaking of recruiting, um, and this is probably best suited for me since I'm sort of leading the charge. Okay, I, I've got I've got some <laughs> things to say on it too, but I'll let you go first. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll give sort of an early look. I, I won't get in too many details. Um, it's Tuesday now, and these are unofficial visits, so they can change pretty quickly. Um, and I expect more to get added to the list in terms of visitors. I've had a running visitors list up on the Insider Lounge for. <laughs> a couple, uh, maybe a week or so now. I don't, I'm not exactly sure. But anyways, Christian Gray, I think the cornerback from St. Louis is the most important recruit that will be getting on campus. Um, Notre Dame has felt good about him. And then LSU offered where his former high school coach, Robert Steeples, is now the cornerbacks coach under Brian Kelly. Um, so that's a serious uh, contender there for Christian. And so this is a really important visit to get him back on campus and keep those uh, positive feelings about Notre Dame intact. Notre Dame has made – Made a point to visit him, I think, every week this month that I can recall um, that they've been able to. So they're they're making sure that his, his school is a, a stop um, on a weekly basis. Uh, offensive lineman Luke Montgomery is another important recruit. Notre Dame had been recruiting him as a defensive lineman under Mike Elston, but um, his preference is to play offensive line, and that um, sort of works out in Notre Dame's favor with the coaching changes. Um, with Harry Eastan now becoming the offensive line coach, he'll have an opportunity to meet Harry Eastan this weekend, um, and they'll get a chance to see um, what that sort of relationship can look like and what, what he thinks about the potential of playing for, for Harry. Um, another guy I'm really interested in is Tamir Robinson um, out of Pittsburgh. He's a linebacker. He's coming off a serious knee injury this past season, um, so Notre Dame get a better sense of where he's at in his rehab and what his future prognosis looks like. I think that's important. Linebacker is certainly not a position that Notre Dame is hurting for. Um, Notre Dame has lots of good um, guys already signed. And then Drake Bowen already committed in the 2023 class. And they're, they'll be in the contention for a number of talented linebackers. So it's not like a make or break situation with Tamir Robinson, but I think that's someone that, that Notre Dame is really interested in. And there's a number of other guys. Um, I'm curious about how much a priority they are. Um, and we'll sort of see that over the next couple of weeks with, Offensive lineman Sullivan Absher, linebacker Preston Zinter, athlete Caden Fagan, um, wide receiver Ronan Hannafin, and defensive tackle Devin Houston. I think the thing that impresses me is the quality. There's not, I think other than Devin Houston, there's not a non-top 250 guy in the Rivals 2023 class in this group, and Devin Houston is a four-star player himself. So there's everybody's four-star or higher among the 2023s that are coming in. I think what's lacking so far on the list is some difference makers on offense. I, I'd like to see, and I don't want to sell um, Fagan short, uh, but, and he can play 
some different positions, but I'd like to see more wide receivers um, and more running backs. And it would probably be a good sign if there was a quarterback. I think the other thing that's going to be missing is Keon Keeley. He's going to be visiting Alabama. Right. Um, he mm -hmm. is a committed recruit that's probably going to end up a five-star guy in the cycle. And um, so that's going to be a big visit to see how that goes. But uh, I think they're doing a good job. And, and it, it's great that they'll get to talk to Al Washington finally, the defensive line coach, well, all the new coaches that have been named. Uh, but um, especially if Brandon Vernon comes and it looks like he's considering that, uh, he's the defensive end from Ohio that's right now would be aligning with a five-star status. Uh, for him to get to know his position coach. He's committed as well. Big, is a big deal. Yeah, and, and Brennan is a, is an underrated commit. Um, I, I imagine most people that are listening know that, but just to, to clarify. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, important. I think the, the skill position stuff is hard because, they, I mean, Notre Dame lost its running backs coach and um, ch changed its wide receivers coach. Chancey Stuckey just got permission to start recruiting, was that yesterday, Monday? Uh, yeah. so, uh, get out on the road recruiting. So Notre Dame, um, is playing a little catch up there. So it might be difficult to, to sell guys on at least, especially with these unofficial visits, it's, it's tougher to get people to commit to when there's some uncertainty there. Um, and if they're not from the area, it's a bit of a hassle trying to get into, into South Bend in the winter when you never know what the weather's going to be like. So, um, I think, uh, I, I wouldn't we know what the weather's going to be like. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you, you never know if the weather's going to prevent you from getting here. Yeah. But uh, uh, I, I think it's a decent, decent uh, group of kids that Notre Dame will be getting on campus. Next question from the Insider Lounge from Irish92. What would the ultimate 2023 class look like with targets who we really have a chance with? Do we have a chance at a top five or maybe even top three class in 2023? Well, right now, Notre Dame's got the number one class in the 2023 cycle with um, with eight commitments. And I want to say there's um, five in the top 50 and a, a sixth in the top 100. And most of those guys, I think all of them are defensive players. So they're going to have to get some offensive players. Here's what I would say is it's got to start with the quarterback. And when we were talking with Adam Friedman earlier, that's kind of why I was seeing what he thought the difference was between the three quarterbacks Notre Dame has the best shot at that are high on their board without expanding their board. And they could certainly do that. But that's Dante Moore from Detroit King, Avery Johnson's from Kansas. And then Christopher Vizina is from Birmingham. He's a guy that's really ascending right now. Um, Jackson Arnold from Texas was Denton, Texas was in that mix. And he just recently committed to Oklahoma after it looking like Notre Dame had the inside track with him. So that's got to be a part of this class. As I was kind of paging through the top um, 2023 recruits, Notre Dame's involved with a lot of them. Um, uh, and, and, you know, the, even at this stage in past years, there's been years where you say, well, they have no shot here. 
You know, I think Carnell Tate, the wide receiver from IMG Academy in Chicago is a, is a big deal. And, and other than, I think Cedric Irvin is a really good running back. I think Notre Dame needs to get another one um, that's as good or better than Cedric in this class. So those are the kind of players that I'm kind of looking at besides the ones that are already committed. Tyler maybe could go into more detail, but boy, that quarterback, we have to be talking about the quarterback. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's crucially important. I, I, I've been pretty adamant that this is a big year for Tommy Reese, both in terms of um, quarterback recruiting um, and also showing his development ability with Tyler Buckner and, and also whether or not he made the right choice in, in sort of going all in on Tyler Buckner um, moving forward. Uh, so, I mean, in terms of the ultimate class, I did put a list together. It's probably a better recruiting story idea a month from now than a podcast question, but because um, I think things are sort of, sort of evolve with new coaches right. in place. Um, but th- this is, I did sketch out what would be, a pretty impressive class. Probably, I don't. I don't know if it would make top five or top three. I, my guess would be yes, because um, I mean this is pretty ambitious. But I don't think any of it's like terribly unrealistic. I mean, there would a lot of things would sort of have to go another Rams way to be able to get all these guys. But um, I don't think anything that I say that any of these players that I'm suggesting here would be like, oh my god, I can't believe that Notre Dame got this guy. Um, so Dante Moore would be the quarterback. I think he's the. I mean, he he. I, in my opinion, he's the best and the preference. Um, I I don't know that it's going to be easy. Well, I know it's not going to be easy. I think it's probably the best way to say it. Um, but I think that's the one they have to win, um, in my opinion. Now, that doesn't mean there's not other good quarterbacks that they could end up getting. And I think people maybe, I mean, when you start expanding the board, like, oh, man, these other guys must be scrubs. I think uh, Notre Dame started aiming pretty high. They weren't, they didn't aim low, and then they're just going to be stuck with, I mean, to me, it's not like, they might, they're not going from Cade McNamara from, to Brendan Clark if they offer some new guys in this class. Yeah, it's like that's not where they're at in this recruiting cycle. Um, so uh, Dante Moore, quarterback, uh, bring Jaden Lamar um, from the West Coast uh, with Cedric Irvin at running back. Um, wide receivers, Carnell Tate, Braylon James, Rodney Gallagher, and Malik Elzey. Um, tight end, Cooper Flanagan. I don't think you need a second tight end after bringing into last class. Um, offensive lineman, I, I put four of them on there. Caden Proctor, um, that would be the, the hall of the class. I think that's someone that Harry Heastan probably needs to make sure he, he gets out to Iowa to see this week. Monroe Freeling, Charles Jagusa. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, but he is someone that Harry Heastan actually visited yesterday um, yeah. in Rock Island, Illinois. And Sullivan Absher, who I mentioned will be visiting Notre Dame this weekend. Defensive tackles, Devin Houston is someone. Um, that's visiting this weekend as well. Kendrick Gilbert out of Indianapolis Cathedral has been on campus a number of times. Um, at defensive end, keep your commitments that Brennan Vernon and Keon Keeley, Keon Keeley, and I think you would be plenty happy with that. At linebacker Drake Bowen who's already committed. Um, I think there's a Notre Dame has a legitimate chance at Jaden Osbury out of Louisiana. Um, so I put him on the list. Phil Picciotti. I'm, I'm terrible with these names uh, at this point, but um, that's Pichotti. Pichotti, according to the Italian Eric Hansen. Um, and uh, cornerback Justin Rett, who's already committed. Christian Gray, who I mentioned is visiting this weekend. Jair Hill is another guy that Notre Dame likes uh, out of Illinois. Um, that uh, is a secondary possibility. And you already have two safeties committed. Keep those guys committed, Peyton Moen and Aiden Schuler, And then Malik Hartford, who Notre Dame just offered yesterday. I think that is a possible guy that Notre Dame could add in the, in the back end of the secondary as well. So, 
Um, I think Notre Dame fans would be pretty excited if they, if they were able to pull off that group. I don't know that it's like, I mean, I wouldn't put great odds on it. I mean, a lot of those are going to be tough recruiting battles, but this is, this is the type of recruiting that Notre Dame is trying to get into and trying to put together. Um, and we'll see how Marcus Freeman can pull it off in his first sort of full recruiting cycle as the, off, or the head coach. And if they do pull it off and if expect a lot of drama, people are going to come after your recruits. If you've got a five-star guy, Right. They're not going to say, well, you know, he's 110% committed to Notre Dame. <laughs> it says on his Twitter thing, 110% committed. Uh, all right. Uh, next question uh, from Twitter at IrishFan102. What's the latest on Notre Dame's transfer portal targets, both graduate and regular transfers? They're done for now. Um, school started. And they've been through two weeks of school. You know, um, Brandon Joseph was able to get in there right at the beginning of classes. And then Blake Group came after classes already had started. Um, so he had to play a little bit of catch up. And uh, fortunately, one of his classes is Notre Dame history. So um, I think he can catch up with that one pretty quick. So what they're what they'll do now though is not everybody that went into the portal in December and January came out of it. So there's probably some people that they like that are still sitting in there. And then there'll be another wave as teams finish spring practices. Guys that are not particularly happy with their um, place on their depth chart on a particular team or maybe they don't like the new coaching staff that they have and they want to transfer that for that reason. We've seen all different kinds of reasons. We've seen star players and starters transfer. Um, so it's not just disgruntled people that are down on the depth chart. And then they will have to be in the portal by May 1st. If they are not, they can't play immediately in 2022 in the fall. They don't have to have their new home by May 1st, but they have to be in the portal by May 1st. So Notre Dame needs to monitor those players and also see what's going on with its own players. Let's say cornerbacks, there's just a surge with the young cornerbacks like Chance Tucker and people like that. And you feel a lot better about your depth and Tariq Bracey decides to come back. Then maybe you don't go get a cornerback out of the portal. Um, I don't know that there's a scenario that would keep them from getting a wide receiver. Um, but again, they're going to monitor those guys. They get to the end of spring practice and they'll say, okay, we need another wide receiver. This is what we're looking for. Um, the only wide receiver that's not going to be in spring ball is going to be Tobias Merriweather. And I think they've got a pretty good idea what, how Tobias will fit. So that's what's going on with the portal. Yeah, I don't know that I have much to add. Yeah, I think I think people want it to be happening and over right away, but that's not how it works. Um, so the the transfer portal is a, it's an ongoing process. Um, I don't think we'll see anything here soon, but um, I, I imagine. I mean, you you could have visits during spring semester, right? And they've done that before, but in, unless there's there's a sense of urgency, I think Notre Dame wants to also pace this out a little bit rather than jumping in there and saying, huh, we could have got this guy uh, who, who decided in April that he was going to transfer. So I think 
it, it pays to be patient with this. Next question is from Twitter at Clay underscore Jasinski. Was the Robert Beal that made a sack at the end of the national championship game the same Robert Beal that was once committed to Notre Dame? If so, what are the biggest what could have been out of each class since then that would have put ND over the top? Um, that was the Robert Beal that um, was in Notre Dame's um, recruit was a Notre Dame commitment and then decommitted. But I'll tell you, Robert Beal had a rough time getting to that point. He, he has not had a shining career. It took him a long time to get to that point um, with Notre Dame. And I'll let yeah. you start on the what has beens and then I'll jump in with that. Yeah, yeah. Robert Beal was a 2017 uh, recruit. Um, so 2021 was really the first productive season that he had. Um, and he was not a starter, but that's not an indictment when you're at Georgia, when there's so many good defensive linemen. Um, and uh, I, I don't even know that I would say he was the biggest, what could have been in that 2017 class. No, I think Paulson Adebo was. Paulson, yeah, Paulson Adebo would have been a bigger one. And Pete Warner. The corner, the cornerback from Stanford and Pete Warner played linebacker at, at Ohio State. Um, the 2018 class. Um, Jason Oway, I think, was like the runaway there for me. And and I, I should add, like, I don't think like these was Jason. Jason wasn't committed, though. Is he are you talking about just guys that got away or guys? Yeah, that... yeah, guys that got away. I mean, there's not there. Okay. I mean, they, there aren't there aren't necessarily always guys that I think are that would have are former commits. In some classes, there aren't even decommits um that have yeah. And Davo and Warner were decommits. Correct. So I was just looking at the guys that got poached. Um, but Jason Owe, he went to Penn State, became a first-round pick of the Ravens. He visited Notre Dame a few times, and Notre Dame likes his chance, liked his chances with him, um, but they weren't able to win that recruitment. Um, 2019, I could keep picking defensive ends and go with David Ajabo, who um, had a great season at Michigan last year. Um, the only decommit in that class was Cade McNamara. Um, he also went to Michigan. I think that's a fascinating what-if. Um does Notre Dame go after Jack Cohn if McNamara comes to Notre Dame instead of Brendan Clark? Because that was essentially what happened that led to Jack yeah. Cohn is Brendan Clark's situation falling apart. Um, now, Cade McNamara, I don't know that anyone – I mean, people were – I think there's a pretty fair argument that he was the worst of the four quarterbacks in the college football playoff, um, but I don't think he's a bad quarterback. Um, his situation at Michigan is somewhat similar to what it could have been here at Notre Dame with Tyler Buckner being the J.J. McCarthy – uh, Michigan's ver or Notre Dame's version of JJ McCarthy um, that might not be as appealing as the as uh, as the as Jason Oway or Paulson Adebo. David Bell in the 2019 class is someone that would have been amazing at Notre Dame um, and was amazing at Purdue, but that that one never felt like the Irish were going to win, even though he was from Indianapolis. Um, another guy that I was just going through former visitors, John Mechie, um, was a, uh, a recruit who visited Notre Dame and obviously ended up at Alabama. Um, and then the 2020 class, that'll be the last class. I don't, I think it's probably too early to, to name any 2021 guys. Um, but uh, a couple of another couple of Michigan guys are interesting. AJ Henning um, was a guy that had serious interest in Notre Dame, his receiver, offensive lineman Zach Zinter, who Notre Dame's recruiting his younger brother, Preston. Um, he visited a number of times and he was a pretty good guard for the Wolverines right, right away. Um, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Um, the wide, wide receiver at Ohio State, he camped at Notre Dame as a young recruit. Um, I don't know that how realistic that ever would have been for Notre Dame, um, but someone you would, I mean, those are the kind of players that Notre Dame needs to be getting. Um, another receiver, Jalen McMillan, 
um, who went to Washington with someone who uh, said that Brian Kelly sort of dropped the ball with him. Um, so that's a fascinating one. If, uh, so there's a number of guys that, um, and this you could go back in any recruiting cycle for probably any school and have a list um, like that. But uh, I, those were all sort of names that sort of came up as I went through the previous classes. In terms of um, D commits and stuff, Notre Dame has come out better from a quantity and quality standpoint going through signing day of this year from the beginning of the Brian Kelly era to the close of it, there were 62 players that Notre Dame poached and there were 36 that were poached out of its classes. And when you look at the quality of players that Notre Dame got, it's not even close. Um, some big stars at Notre Dame, including Stefan Tuitt, who actually went both ways, decommitted, came back, um, Aaron Lynch decommitted, came back. Will Fuller was a guy that was poached. Greg Bryant, Max Redfield, Andy Vanderdose, Drew Tranquil, Sean Crawford, Dexter Williams, Brandon Wimbush. I mean, Khalid Kareem from Alabama, Dalen Hayes. I mean, there are some major contributors. Notre Dame definitely has come out on top in the poaching area. <laughs> All right, it was a fun trip down memory lane with, with some of those guys. Next question from Twitter, Marie BFRA at BFRA underscore Marie. There seemed to be a big difference in the level of tackling between Notre Dame and Georgia and Alabama. What do you think needs to be done to improve tackling? Is it a technique issue, or does Notre Dame just need better athletes? I think there's levels to that answer, and I think Marie's probably referring to the Oklahoma State game. Um, number one, don't allow the opposing offense to run 91 plays. I mean, you're, nobody's yeah. going to look good at the end of that. I, Notre Dame got worn down. There's also some missed opportunities with getting the right personnel on the field in the second half of the game. It was a little bit chaotic, and I'm not going to blame it all on Mike Elston, but he was trying to run things. It just wasn't a smooth operation in terms of N Notre Dame's normal rotations. Um, I do think having better athletes will help because athlete, you know, the great athletes can sometimes outrun their mistakes. And I think you will get better, better tackling. You look at those four linebackers that are here this spring that are freshmen. And I think the tackling just from their athletic ability alone, and then having a good teacher, good development. Um, so Again, I, I think sometimes, too, is that, um, you know, Jarrett Patterson said this about offensive linemen. I think it's true about defensive players. When you start getting on a run, when the other team starts getting on a run offensively, sometimes guys tend to do get out of their lane and, and try to do somebody else's job for them. And that's when things really fall apart on a defense. And I think there was some of that going on. So. Do I think it's fixable? You didn't ask that, Marie, but I'm going to add that as a bonus answer. I do think it's fixable. I think Notre Dame has the coaching and the talent to be able to be better tacklers. Yeah, better depth leads to fresher bodies, which makes tackling easier. Um, I think better athletes in some spots helps, but I think that to me that makes a bigger improvement in terms of allowing you to be in position to make more tackles than just less likely to miss tackles. 
because sometimes that does come down to fundamentals and you can be a great athlete and, and not make a good tackle. Um, I ha- have some trivia for you. Where do you think Notre Dame finished the 2021 season ranked um, in, in, in tackling rating, according to pro football focus? Out of 130? Uh, yes. I'll say they were 42. They were number seven. Really? Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know that I would have guessed that. And I don't know. I don't want to say pro football focus is rating is the be all end all as it com- relates to uh, tackling, but Georgia and Alabama were one, two. So it's interesting that Marie pointed to those as, as good tackling teams. And then Notre Dame wasn't very far behind at number seven in these rankings. Uh, well, no. they weren't number seven in the Oklahoma State. <laughs> no, I don't think there was so. another game where they had a real rough time. Maybe it was the, USC or North Carolina. I, I thought the Florida, yeah, North Carolina game was bad, and most specifically, just on Sam Howell himself, they had a trouble with him. Um, and the Florida State game wasn't great either in terms of tackling. I'm not. I that's off the top of my head, just as a as a watcher, not necessarily knowing the PFF ratings off the top of my head. Um, so I found that interesting. Number three in the country was Toledo. Four. Boston College, five, Air Force, six, Michigan. Um, I don't know that you would point to Toledo, Boston College, Air Force, or even Michigan as teams that have the best athletes in the country. So I, I think sort of laying it all on athleticism, I think is probably a little bit um, short-sighted. Uh, Toledo did have a veteran team, though. That was a team that had been together. They had a lot of s- super seniors and sure. a lot of people coming back. Yeah, I, I just think there's a lot that goes into it that it's, it's hard to sort of boil it down into an athleticism issue or a technique issue. I think technique is certainly important. Um, it's probably one of the more important things that need to be done with proper technique in, in football. Um, so uh, I think there's lots, lots of ways to look at it. And I think people would probably be surprised to think that um, Notre Dame was given a much better um, – I think tackling is one of those things. It's sort of like uh, offensive line play. You don't know – when it's going poorly, you know that it's going poorly, but you have no – like you, you sometimes you lack the context of how poorly it goes elsewhere because you're just not paying attention to other teams tackling poorly as, as intently as you're looking at um, your own team that you're cheering for. So I think that um, sometimes can skew the perspective a little bit. Um, last question we have from the Insider Lounge, Drew Brennan, 77. In the battle between Josh Lug and Rocco Spindler for the other guard position, with Josh Lug continuing to battle injuries, do you think Spindler wins the job outright this spring? I don't think wins it outright this spring. I, I think um, I think it's going to be interesting because Harry's going to have probably a different view of of some players than Jeff Quinn had. I just think that's inevitable, and I'm not saying one's right and one's wrong. Rocco Spindler, I just think at some point is going to be you can't keep him out of the lineup. So when is that going to happen? Um, maybe it's in fall camp. Uh, but, I mean, Josh Lug is a – I think Josh Lug's better position is guard, even though Brian Kelly, I think, thought it was tackle. Um, so I'm kind of fudging here. I, I think in the spring, no, he will not t- overtake Lug. And I think Harry's going to want to look at maybe some different combinations, um, too. I, I think Andrew Kristoffic did a really good job. It, it's just going to be really interesting to see all this plays out um, because there are a lot of really talented offensive linemen 
that can play at different spots. I can't wait to see it play out. So I'll let Tyler be the prediction machine since he played offensive line, and I just admire offensive linemen. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to win the job outright this spring. I think it's too soon, especially with – I mean, Harry, he stands coming back in for the first time to coach these guys. Um, so I don't know that he's going to be in a hurry to get that pounded out as, okay, this guy is the starter. Um, I, I'm not sure I, – I didn't get to ask Josh Lug this the other day, um, given that I was at home and doing Zoom, so the follow-up situation is a little bit more difficult um, and the opportunities to ask questions are a little bit more limited. Um, but – uh, I, don't, I don't know how much he'll be participating in the spring, given his recovery from his knee injury um, and, and surgery before the Fiesta Bowl. Um, I think there's probably a chance that he could do some stuff towards the end of spring, but I'm, I'm not certain um, what that looks like. So that that would certainly play a role. So I, I, would, I would definitely believe, especially if he's limited in that way, Harry Heastan's not going to hold it against him that he couldn't get out there because of that um, and just give Rocco Spindler the starting, starting job. But Rocco Spindler – as a result, we'll have every opportunity to impress this spring, um, but I don't think he's going to win that job without a lug getting a, a fair shake at it. And I think, like you mentioned, Harry Heastan's going to give these guys a clean slate and come 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 into the offensive line room with a fresh perspective and different sort of ideas and, and perspectives on players. Um, so that'll be a fascinating situation. I think I mean, there's inter- intrigue in whether or not do you keep – Joe Alt at left tackle or do you, and Blake, Blake Fisher at right tackle, or do you move them, you switch them? Um, so I think there's lots of interesting developments that will be coming this spring and, uh, on the offensive line, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in a rush to believe that whatever happens this spring will dictate what happens uh, come the season opener in September. All right, that's it for today's episode of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our new podcast feeds uh, with your friends. Uh, We'll be back next week with another podcast. Until until then, stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your Notre Dame football offseason coverage needs. 